0: Hey, before we get into this week's episode of The Culture, just a quick reminder that if you want to stay up to date with the show, you can follow it in your favorite podcast app. Just search for The Culture. All right, let's get into it. Hey there, I'm Osman Faruqi and this is The Culture, a weekly show about the latest in the world of pop culture, arts and entertainment. This week, the art world lost an icon and a visionary. The fashion designer Virgil Abloh passed away at the age of 41, just two years after being diagnosed with cancer, a diagnosis that he kept private.
1: It's with heavy hearts that we report the passing of designer, founder and creator Virgil Abloh. This past Sunday, November 28th, a statement was released from his personal Instagram account that revealed that the Off-White founder and Louis Vuitton artistic director had been battling a rare and aggressive form of cancer over the past two years.
0: The news shocked even some of Virgil's closest friends and collaborators. The world Abloh had built and the cultures he managed to marry, emblematic in the tributes that came pouring in, from the likes of Donatella Versace to that of hip-hop stars Drake and Pharrell. From his beginnings in Chicago to his collaborations with Kanye West to becoming the first black person in history to be appointed artistic director at Louis Vuitton... Virgil transformed fashion, music, and art.
2: And the fashion world is reeling from this stunning news. He was only 41 years old, but in his short career, Virgil Abloh smashed down barriers, blazed new trails, going where few black fashion designers had ever gone before. His offbeat style shaking up a state industry and leading to major success as he collaborated with some of the biggest names.
0: To help explain just how significant a figure Virgil Abloh was and to discuss his legacy... I'm here with Mitch Parker, a fashion writer and editor, currently a style contributor for GQ and the former managing editor at ID. Mitch, thank you so much for joining me on The Culture. Thank you so much for having me. I'm so excited to be here. I want to start with a story you wrote a few years ago. You profiled Virgil Abloh for Acclaim magazine when he came to Australia. You interviewed him while he was here. Mm.
1: Can you tell me about that experience and his time in Australia? It was in Sydney in 2017 when I met Virgil for an interview. He'd come to Australia as a part of a collaboration he was doing with Nike on a range of sneakers called The Ten. And he'd done this kind of like unprecedented collaboration with Nike where he, instead of just doing one shoe, which is kind of the standard, they'd given him access to their archive and kind of 10 iconic sneaker models that nobody had ever touched before and they just let him have at them. It's definitely still talked about as one of the biggest sneaker collaborations of all time. I actually had a look this morning, like they just sell for normal, but they're hard to get, right? Like usually you have to go through a raffle or something like that to be able to buy these sneakers because they're in such demand. Afterwards, they resell for thousands of dollars Mm. because collectors are trying to grab them up as much as possible. I actually looked this morning, kind of the day after Virgil's death, they've doubled overnight instantly, of course. Wow. You know, for example, a pair of- Do you have a pair? I don't have a pair. I Did have a pair of signed Virgil shoes uh, that I gifted the Acclaim team when I moved on from there. That's a wonderful Um, gift. I know one that I might regret. (laughs) Um, Yeah, so there's a pair of Jordan Ones from Virgil Abloh's first collaboration with Nike on the moment on sneaker resale sites for about thirteen thousand USD, which is crazy when you think about. They would have been about two hundred bucks the first time around. Yeah. Anyway, so he'd come to Sydney to kind of promote the launch of this Nike collaboration. And I went up to profile him for a claim. And he was doing kind of a series of workshops in this kind of event space where they had all these tables set up where you got a pair of sneakers and you would customize them. And he was doing a talk and you could kind of create your own version of the sneakers that he'd created for Nike. And he was kind of floating around the room offering tips and Signing everyone's sneakers who asked him, which was like a big Virgil thing at the time, was like, if you could get Virgil to sign your sneakers, like, that was just top tier. Mm. Like, even the most hype, beastie, streetwear kind of collecting dudes were outside the event space just trying to get a glimpse of him and just, like, throwing their shoes at him, hoping that he would sign them with, like, a Sharpie. (laughs) It was a huge thing at the time. But the really cool thing that I remember first about that day was we sat down to do this collaboration, this workshop, and it was really kind of only meant to be for media and kind of like influencer people and people from that kind of, you know, background and scene. But there was all these kids just hoarding around outside the event space, like trying to look through the windows, trying to get a glimpse of him, just to see this guy that had this kind of like intense kind of like energy around him in the street scene at the time. Um, and just before they started the talk at the beginning of the workshop he asked the event team to like open up all the windows and doors and turn the volume up on the speakers so that all the kids out on the street could hear the talk that he was about to present Mm. that was only meant Mm. to be for the media and that's always stuck with me because it feels like a real kind of like important touch point for the way that he approached the fashion industry really broadly was kind of he was really about kind of he had this intense fan base and he was always up trying to have a conversation with them rather than speak to them. So he was, he was very much not trying to be a top-down guy. He was trying to bring everyone in. And so that's one of the things that I'll always remember about him. That accessibility is really interesting because it's something that
0: has come up a lot from people that he's worked with, whether they're extremely famous or young collaborators. A lot of people say that he was so genuine and generous with his time and and genuinely
1: said, if you need anything, call me, message me. And people did. And he got back to them all the time. This is the thing about people in fashion, right? Like fashion is an entire industry made out of the biggest egos that you'll ever come across in your life. And when somebody like Virgil passes away and you kind of keep hearing people come back and talking about he was so kind, he was so kind, he was so kind, it's very much because that's not the standard in the industry. Mm. There are a lot of egos. It's a business. It's very competitive. So for that to be like mentioned so much after his death you know that it's 100% true because, you know, designers have passed away in the past and people are more likely to be like, he was an immense talent rather than talk about someone personally, right? But the thing with Virgil is everyone's talking about how nice of a guy he was. You know, That's another thing that everyone's talked about with Virgil going is that every door that he opened, he left open behind him. Hmm. And he left kind of like the tools for what he did and how he became successful in plain sight. He was very obvious throughout his entire art practice about exactly what he was doing, exactly how he was approaching it. And so the tools for success for somebody who hasn't really been noticed by the fashion system or sits outside of the traditional fashion system, they're all there waiting for you and I mean, he never made it look easy, but he was kind of proof that you can do it. Mm. I think it's really important for me to acknowledge that I will never understand what it meant to see someone like Virgil, uh, not just at Louis Vuitton, but succeeding and, and kind of being one of the most powerful people in fashion. I can't imagine what that felt like being like a young black man interested in fashion. You know, I'll never know what that, what, what it felt like to have that kind of representation. I think that that's, the effects of that are something that we're only going to see over the next 10, 15 years, is that, you know, he did leave all these doors open behind him. And I think that there, we'll never see another Virgil Abloh, but you just hope that we're going to see a lot more people who were brought into the fold because of him.
0: And he has created a fund
1: to help that happen, right? Yeah, that's right. So he's created a scholarship fund, which is all about getting more black people into uh, design schools. And they've even brought in a few people to Louis Vuitton design team off the back of that scholarship. Before we get to some of Virgil's most impactful
0: work, the work that he was most well known for, can you step me through
1: the origins of his career and how he got to where he was? Yeah. So Virgil grew up in the suburbs of Chicago, um, which is how you can see he would kind of connect with Kanye West later. Um, but even as a teenager, he would he talked to me in our interview actually about how when he was a seventeen year old kid in the suburbs, he would just spend his spare time like drawing designs for Nike sneakers and just mailing them to Nike, not wow. knowing that anything would ever happen to them. So looking back on this, you know, one of the most iconic sneaker collaborations of all time coming from him, like it's such a nice moment yeah, to feel fully rounded. Off the back of him working with Kanye for a long time, he started a label called Pyrex Vision in 2013, I believe, um, which would later become Off-White. They changed the name. And this was kind of when he started to make a name for himself as this kind of like buzzy streetwear label kind of guy, right? Um, There's a really interesting story about uh, Pyrex Vision's rugby shirts, which I think that if you don't know, you should definitely look it up. I'll try and explain it, but maybe I won't do it justice. But essentially, Ralph Lauren had a label called Rugby, which was one of their diffusion lines, which ended up folding. Uh, They were selling off the excess merchandise and they had a bunch of flannels. Uh, Virgil bought them for cheap, removed all of the tags off them, screen printed Pyrex Vision on them as his own brand and sold them for about a 700% markup.
0: I love it. I respect that
1: a lot. Right? Like, that's hustle. Also, like, it's Ralph Lauren. They're doing fine. Yeah. Exactly. Exactly. Yeah. And it's kind of, it was very much questioned at the time about, you know, what are the ethics behind that? Or what are you adding to design? But I think you have to just appreciate the bravado of doing something like that. The best part about that story was a, a journalist called Gian de Leon, who was writing for a fashion blog called Four Pins at the time, wrote a really big article kind of talking about exactly that. Uh, the iconic quote, it's highly possible that Virgil took, you know, these blanks and increased the value by 700% after screenwriting his own name on them. Virgil then took that quote from the article, had it printed onto a rug and it was the rug as you walked into his design studio. (laughs) It's even better. And I think that speaks so much to
0: like the level of irony that he brought to, um, and also like just genius in being like, I need to make a
1: name for myself. I'm going to do this. Exactly. I mean, it's borrowed from the hip-hop playbook, right? Exactly. You know, like that exactly. kind of bravado, flipping the argument around, you know, making it look like you're controlling the narrative at the same time. Incredible. So then he moved... Uh, Pyrex Vision became off-white. They set up in Milan uh, because he kind of knew that he wanted to tap into the the supply chains and the craft that happens in Milan. Like, it's still very much the, the centre point for creating things like leather goods. Uh, and so... He started there with Off-White and it just became massive. I mean, like you look back at that time, we're talking like, you know, 2016, 2017, uh, repeatedly listed as kind of like one of the top three hottest fashion labels in the world, going up against all of the giants, Mm. you know, Louis Vuitton, Dior, Chanel. He was outselling all of them. And it was really interesting because... You've got that old guard kind of asking questions when his name started to come up for the Louis Vuitton job because people always whisper about where designers are going next. His name started getting mentioned more and more where it kind of seemed like it might actually happen, but it was still kind of a bit of a long shot. And while all these people in fashion from the old European system were kind of really busy talking about whether he had the credibility to be this designer and whether he had like was the right person to take on this esteemed French house, Virgil was out selling all of them. He had lines around the block for all of his stores and all of his products. He had the hottest stuff in town. And I think that that says a lot about his approach as well, where it was kind of like, you know, you can be squabbling up in your castle as much as you want. I'm going to be down here with the kids, selling them the sneakers that they want to wear. Yeah, And you need me more than I need you. Exactly.
2: You know, the customer, the public in general has a, a lot more knowledge. They have a, they're a lot more discerning. So... You know, being a designer now means something different than being a designer in the previous sort of generation. And I think uh, what makes room for a large opportunity is that there's new space for new dialogue.
1: You know, you can see the legacy that he's left in terms of the way that the luxury and high fashion industry kind of approach where they'll look at designers now. Um, Givenchy, which is another luxury design, which is also... LVMH, the same company that owns Louis Vuitton. Their new creative director, Matthew Williams, he was kind of one of Virgil's protégés. He uh, started a label called Alex, um, which was very much like a technical hardware that would make like belts and clothes and pieces like that. He had no formal fashion training. Now he's in charge of one of the biggest fashion houses uh, going around. So you can see that the big luxury fashion industry which is still very much controlling the entire industry around the world uh, are very much open to looking outside of that traditional pathway now more than ever and i think that a lot of that is credit to virgil we'll be back after the break
0: As a a 7am listener, you value the story behind the headlines. That's why you should read POST, a free daily newsletter bringing you the top five news stories of the day, summarising each of their key points. Sign up today at thesaturdaypaper.com.au slash newsletters. So my first experience with Virgil was... I guess, through his collaborations with Kanye West. They both grew up in Chicago and they've had such an interesting career together. The relationship has had its ups and downs, Mm. but I think on balance, it's probably been one of the most interesting and artistically impactful modern collaborations. They both interned together at the Fendi office in Rome There are all these amazing photos of them from that era, 2009, 2010, where they were rocking up to different fashion weeks. This iconic photo, I think,
1: outside of the Paris Fashion Week with Kanye holding that amazing briefcase. Huge photo. One of the greatest photos of that time see it into my memory as a young kind of like men's blogger for sure yeah
0: right and it was this moment where kanye who had established himself as a producer and a rapper was mm. trying to tell everyone hey i can do fashion as well we now know that he absolutely can and has done very well on that but that was a moment in which i think he was really trying to prove that to the world
1: totally and it, in, in regards to kanye it was his first time around trying to prove that he could do fashion and it wasn't that successful mm. um you know he did i think it was called dw Ka- uh, kanye west his his like Springline way back in the mid-2010s, and it was absolutely panned. Like, (laughs) everybody ripped it to shreds, right? And then, you know, not even five years later, he comes back with Yeezy, which is now just, like, this insane, like, billion-dollar company just completely changed the game in terms of fashion culture. Um, But Virgil was alongside him for all of that early career.
2: The one thing that that has to be stressed about that show is that it actually wasn't me on the runway. You know, it was the community. That show was us, you know, and that link wouldn't have happened unless, you know, I acknowledged that Kanye stood from a mountaintop long ago and yelled, saying, the future of fashion will be like this.
1: You could see that they kind of did diverge on those two different paths, and but they were always still kind of connecting. Like, you could see... Virgil's first show for Louis Vuitton when he became the menswear director uh, was spring 2019, I believe. And it was this huge show, right? Like it was one of the most watched shows ever, let alone menswear shows. Mm. I mean, the fashion industry is massive, right? But the men's fashion industry, it's still relatively small. There's, it doesn't get anywhere near as much attention as like the women's. Uh, does but this was kind of like the show of the year essentially because it was such a big deal that someone like Virgil had taken over like this esteemed French fashion house like Louis Vuitton like which is just like the creme de la creme of old guard established fashion European fashion in particular. I want to get into that just before we expand on that stuff
0: mm. just to because I, I think if you're someone who might not be aware or that interested in sort of luxury fashion. You might have read the name Virgil Abloh this week and maybe you've come across it before, but I guarantee you that if you're listening to this podcast, you listen to uh, music and you're interested in in pop culture, you have been influenced or touched by Virgil's work before. And, And like I said, the first entree I had to his art and his career was through music. So he's collaborated with Kanye. They interned together at Fendi. He became the artistic director of Kanye's design company, Donda. But he also – and it's, it's a job that I think he almost created. didn't really exist to this extent before. Totally. This idea of being a creative or artistic director for an album. So albums like My Beautiful Dark Twisted Fantasy, Yeezus, Watch the Throne. He did the same thing with uh, rappers like ASAP Rocky and Lil Uzi. He didn't necessarily – he wasn't the designer creating the album artwork, but he had the vision to create a kind of look and feel – for that 100%. particular project. And it I don't think it's a coincidence that the, the, the projects that he creatively, artistically designed are the projects that we think back
1: as being some of the best by these kinds of artists. 100%. Like Virgil definitely, I mean, you could say this is for better or worse, but definitely that idea of being a creative director as essentially a curator of, like, a different project or whatever, It did kind of become like a bit of a a joke of the time, you Mm. know, somebody changing their Instagram bio to creative director because they've suddenly, you know, thrown a T-shirt on someone and taken a photo. I mean, we liked it when Virgil did it, but when like (laughs) English people working in advertising started to do that, less exciting. Exactly. Um, But yeah, that's very much how Virgil approached his career, whether it was fashion or all of the many design things that he did outside of fashion, or even the fact that he was just like a, a DJ playing festivals and stuff like that when he was still the head of Louis Vuitton. Um, he was very much approaching his entire career in a similar kind of trajectory as a musician would, if anything, I would say. The way that he would kind of not necessarily come from this traditional school of, you know, starting and working your way up in like a fashion house, assisting, interning, et cetera. But the way that he would kind of just ride these waves, Mm. sample, remix, collaborate with people, it's very similar to how a musician kind of builds their career and builds their following, talks to fans to kind of get a base behind them. Yeah, it's much more indicative of a musician's career than a designer's career.
0: Yeah, in the sense that he has a vision and he has things he wants to say about the world and the direction it should be heading in. And he's able to adapt that to music, to album art, to music videos, to luxury clothes. And I think that's a part of his career for which I guess he's become more famous for than I think a lot of his music artistic work. I want you to explain to me just how significant it was for both Louis Vuitton to tap someone like Virgil Uh, who was well-known for his streetwear label at the time, but at the same time, how significant it was for someone like Virgil to work for a company like Louis Vuitton in in that role as the head of their their menswear side of the business.
1: When Virgil became the head of menswear at Louis Vuitton, he became one of the most like watched and powerful designers in the fashion industry, just kind of working in Louis Vuitton. It does that. Louis Vuitton is owned by LVMH, which is Bernard Arnault, the French billionaires, you know, it's the biggest luxury company in the world. And Louis Vuitton is very much like the crown jewel of that empire. So for Virgil to take on kind of that role, it just says so much that in a way that the old guard kind of bended to him, that they needed him mm. to get that kind of success that he could get. And he did, he delivered incredible results in terms of the financials for Louis Vuitton, especially when it comes to menswear. It's interesting because you see someone like Virgil and you can see these moments in his career where he participated in the system at the same time that he was kind of keeping one foot out of it. Mm. So when him and Kanye like still went to intern at Fendi in the early 2010s, you know, that's them kind of giving a nod to the old industry and saying that we want to be a part of this. But then everything that he did outside of that kind of after was very much of his own creation. You know, it was much more streetwear-focused where you would kind of create your own graphics and print on blank T-shirts and, and things like that um, to then create this rabid fan base and huge following with his own label, with which is what he did with Off-White.
2: I feel like Off-White might be one of the truly first sort of like a luxury brand that's been just built from social media. It behaves in this sort of hybrid in between a traditional system and a new system less than streetwear. That clothes just come out at different times, they're posted on Instagram and consumers can buy them. And I'm interested in that hybrid in between them both. You know, I'm directly pointed at this generation that hasn't been messaged luxury to yet. You
1: couldn't ignore his presence in the fashion scene. You couldn't ignore his influence. And at the time that he kind of got tapped for Louis Vuitton, he was kind of at like the peak of his powers and it kind of cemented him as kind of being the guy who was kind of leading this new moment for what fashion would become, which is still what it is now. It's still very much, you know, not the traditional just clothes industry that we've kind of always known it to be. Uh, it's very much about creating moments and collaborations and events and experiences and building a community rather than a customer base and all of that is still you know happening right now and, and you think that he the was the tipping a, a, point did. was Virgil for sure i'm not saying that it's because of Virgil but i'm saying he became somebody who embodied that change so vividly the and like i'm obviously not a
0: fashion critic and so feel free to say that the things that I'm saying here make no sense in the context yeah. of, of, of fashion writing or fashion criticism. Sure. But one of the things that, another another element that that marriage between uh, Louis Vuitton and Virgil represented was, I guess, the big luxury fashion houses not only bending their knee to Virgil, but bending their knee to street culture more broadly. And I think that's really interesting because you can look at it a couple of different ways. You can look at it super cynically and say, well, these are enormous companies worth hundreds of billions of dollars appropriating street wear that has come out of, you know, communities and art scenes in the United States in particular that are some of the most disadvantaged in the world. Mm. And I guess part of that is also, uh, you know, post the global financial crisis where the sort of fetishization of extreme, you know, haute couture sort of style it's not really cool to, to wear stuff that looks that rich, but I'll wear like streetwear, but there's a little Louis Vuitton logo on it. So yeah. you know that it's stylish. So there's a more cynical approach to it. I guess the other side of it is you can see someone like Virgil as a kind of insurgent who remained true to his kind of artistic values and used the kind of artifice of Louis Vuitton to bring this stuff to the world. Like, is that sort of a fair summary of the two approaches? Where, where do you sit as someone who thinks about this stuff a lot more than me?
1: Yeah. I mean, it's tricky. I mean, fashion's definitely had a lot of issues in when comes to appropriation in the past, you know, there's collections from like the 90s where Karl Lagerfeld's designing like, you know, ghetto collections Hmm. for Chanel, which is just horrendous. Um, But then you've kind of got the idea of somebody like, I guess you kind of have to ask the question about whether, does it change the idea of that because Virgil's authentically from it himself? And so him being platformed in that kind of way, does that kind of make it any better. I'm not sure. It's probably also not something that I can answer. I think it's something that you'd probably have to look to somebody more in the streetwear community to see how they feel about it. But I think if anything, the representation and the kind of respect that Virgil had for streetwear in particular, he brought it to a level where he was kind of saying, you know, from a design and a visual perspective and what this means to people as a subculture, it's just as important as a $10,000 handbag made by a French guy. Hmm. You know, he really took those aesthetics, merged the two of them together and said, these are equal now.
0: And I guess it's a perennial question when it comes to artists operating within capitalism. Like, what is the alternative here? You know, you can make the same argument about rappers from a certain community background signing to labels like Universal. It's like, well, someone's making money. This is the system in which we're operating in. It doesn't necessarily mean that every single action done by everyone is like rational and ethical and fine, mm-hmm. but also... I think often we often have this conversation on the show where things get posited as black and white or binary and things, as I continue to learn, always a little bit more complicated. Yeah,
1: and that. fashion is the most grey-level example of any of that. Fashion is art and commerce combined by definition. The two have to exist together for, for fashion to exist. So the lines get so blurred. It's the same thing about whether, you know, talking about whether fashion belongs in a museum um, or whether it just, you know, is a functional garment that people wear every day. Do people really ask that as a, as a sort of, you know, to me, it seems like both. Yeah, exactly. It's both. It can be both. And I think sometimes, you know, you definitely have people who kind of try to build up, uh, you know, fashion as kind of like this highly artistic, you know, intellectual idea. Um and it can be that, certainly. Like, there are people who have built their practice off that. Like, I think some of the greatest artists of the last hundred years were fashion designers and not right. artists. But then there's also kind of like nothing wrong with popping down to the shops and buying a sweatshirt that you like for a hundred bucks and that being it. We'll be back after this short break.
2: As a 7am listener, you value the story behind the headlines. That's why you should read Post, a free daily newsletter bringing you the top five news stories of the day, summarising each of their key points with links to full articles from a range of sources. Get the news you need to your inbox every weekday morning with Post. Sign up at thesaturdaypaper.com.au slash newsletters.
0: We've talked a fair bit about, the, I guess, some of the bigger themes and the kind of the cultural conversation sparked by, by Virgil and the work that he did. But to kind of take it you know, closer to kind of grand level for a second, and he did operate in so many different spheres. So this might be a tricky question to answer, but what are the kind of thematic or aesthetic motifs, ideas, things that he's known for? Like what says Virgil Ibloh when you look at his sneakers, you look at his clothes, you look at his artistic approach?
1: Virgil had this real postmodern Marcel Duchamp kind of approach to the way that he created anything that he worked on. And it's important to remember that he didn't just work on clothes, you know, he was working as a collaborator for so many different fields. But I don't think that you can get past the sense of irony that he brought to a lot of his clothing. Um, I mean, one of his most iconic motifs that he developed for Off-White was uh, block letters appearing in quotation marks on items as like slogans. So, I mean probably a really big example of that would be this pair of like knee-high leather boots that were in black that had in big bold white lettering up the side for walking in quotation marks or like a off-white wallet which would have like for money written on the outside so Those kind of like really obvious, ironic statement pieces definitely became like a big motif of his, as did kind of graphics in general. He used a lot of graphics from streetwear elements, but he also used a lot of graphics from kind of construction, road design, things like that, which I think was probably a tie back to his background as an engineer, which he studied. He had no technical fashion training at all.
2: Like, so I'd studied engineering, then got a master's degree in architecture and I explain to people, it's this, It's like how the world works in a way. It's like an analytical thinking, like how do you make a building stand up? But then there's the, the, the yin-yang part of it. It was like, what does the building look like and what does it do? How does it perform? Why is it relevant? Or, so it's analytical plus like aesthetic. And I use that. In fashion design, or in my art practice, his
1: mother was a seamstress, but and he learned how to sew from her. But I mean, you can ask anyone in fashion, and they'll tell you straight away. Like Virgil's not a great technical fashion mm, interesting. designer at all. Um, it's kind of what we were talking about before, where he was more of a curator, more of a mood maker than anything. He has the vision, and he knows he how to has work a vision. He off. built his design team that way to kind of bring in these people who, you know, could do that work for him. But he was also kind of like, besides the irony, I would say, the other thing was that he was just such a good barometer for pop culture. And, you know, not just hip-hop, which people associate with him a lot, definitely. But, you know, he had collections at Off-White that were themed around Princess Diana. Mm. And this is like... Princess Diana is kind of, like, having a moment right now. I guess all these movies are coming out there's about a lot. her there's and TV Spencer,
0: shows. Spencer, The Crown, there's yeah. a lot happening.
1: And there's a lot of, kind of, images of Princess Diana being reposted by on Instagram of her, kind of, like, you know, walking through the street on her way to the gym and stuff like that is definitely kind of, like, a thing on Instagram over the last year. But, you know, he made a collection based on the style of Princess Diana two or three years ago before that moment had even happened, you know. Uh, his... Early collections for Louis Vuitton were referencing things like The Wiz, which is like an iconic musical. You know, he was a really good barometer for, for bringing pop culture references into fashion and design, definitely.
0: You alluded to the fact earlier that, you know, we've talked a lot about the fashion and the music side, but by no means was he limited to one or two or even 10 fields. He collaborated with artists like Takashi Murakami uh, to make contemporary art. He's been shown at some of the biggest galleries in the world. He's collaborated with IKEA on, on furniture designs. Like, talk me through some of those other things that we might not know that much
1: about. Virgil, I think first and foremost, was a complete workhorse. He was working all the time looking back at the time that he was in Sydney when I was there, I remember finding out kind of what his 24 hours had been like, even back then, right? In 24 hours, he'd been named as on the cover of System Magazine as like the cover star, which is an independent fashion art publication, which was shot by Jürgen Teller. He was at the GQ Australia Man of the Year Awards, where he was named International Designer of the Year. His company Off-White was listed as the third hottest fashion brand in the world. It rose 31 points in one quarter because it just had this meteoric rise. He DJed a party in Sydney called Settings, which was just kind of like a couple of guys throwing a party. It wasn't the most established thing in the world either. And then Drake was in town, so he was having dinner with Drake as well. <laughs> the next morning, he was meeting me for interviews and launching a Nike collaboration and would have been in discussion with Louis Vuitton about taking that job at the time. Well,
0: if I did one of those things in my
1: entire life, I'd be pretty happy with myself. A hundred percent. Like, he was such a workhorse. He, you could tell that he was kind of one of those people that was always like, why don't I just do it now? you know whereas you know somebody like me probably a little bit more like a oh I'll think about it and eventually maybe I'll get to it one of the things that he became most renowned for were these kind of collaborations which is again a very common idea now not just in fashion but in my like broader consumer culture is the idea of collaboration and using it to build buzz collaborating between high and low inside and outside of your industry to kind of create something new and create a moment and he was kind of like a really big part of that early stage acknowledging of the power of a collaboration i think so yeah he did nike levi's ramoa which is a luggage company jimmy choo ikea um you know sunglasses Evian water bottles mm. you know like it kind of became almost a joke at one point where it was kind of like what's virgil not going to put his name on but he approached all of them as if they were as important as each other it never felt like He was just a designer slapping his name on something. Mm. It always felt like in his own twisted way, even if it looked really simple, you could tell that he had put a a thought or an effort into it. One of the things that he has been
0: criticised for is, you talked about when we were talking about Duchamp and and irony and the way that he sort of is reinterpreting the world. He has this famous quote that every new design can be created by just changing 3% of something else. And... That's like, on one hand, not a crazy concept, like music and art is iterative. And I think particularly the scenes that Virgil's coming out of, hanging around with people like Kanye, who were so sample focused at that stage of their career, it seems normal, but it also did lead to allegations of plagiarism
1: with some of his work. Talk me through that debate around that element of Virgil's art. I mean, he was very much always talked about himself as being a maker. Um, He never shied away from that. And always was kind of quite obvious with his references, I believe. Like he would never shy away from letting you know what he was referencing, which I believe is kind of like a musician's approach to things, right? It's like we're going to tell you what the sample is because we sampled it, hmm. and hmm. then now we're using it as the ascendant's new. I think that the problem with Virgil is sometimes he didn't go far enough. Like is the 3% far enough, uh-huh. you know? Fashion uses designs from the past constantly. We've kind of like reached the end point for what can be new in fashion, you know? Yeah. We need clothes on us. They need to have little holes for your arms. and Exactly. Like there's only so far that you can go. Um, And all of the best designers of the past have, you know, referenced the people who've come before them. But I think that what they've probably managed to do is recontextualize or change it enough to say something new. And I mean, I remember it would have been the beginning of 2020. There was a off-white collection that wasn't particularly well-received. And I remember Robin Guyvin, who's the fashion critic for the Washington Post. She's an amazing fashion writer, is one of the only, I think, or maybe the only fashion writer to get a Pulitzer Prize. Wow. Um, was She wrote a kind of scathing review of this collection, right? And one of the things that she pointed out was that in this collection, Virgil had, you know, reference designs, but he hadn't necessarily improved them to provoke or make them think. It's not enough just to give something a shout out. You have to kind of make it better or improve or say something more important than just showing us somebody else's work. Otherwise, it doesn't mean anything. So I think that's probably where the critiques of Virgil come in. But also, is it an extra sore point for someone like Virgil who made their whole career about leaving doors open behind him that potentially sometimes those references might have come from designers who were much smaller than him mm. on a much lower level. There are definitely examples of younger designers or, you know, starting out designers whose either Virgil or someone in his uh, design team had referenced for sure. I imagine that, the you know, 3% is not going to be enough for someone like them. One of the things I found so fascinating about his career was that when he did have missteps,
0: and everyone does, and Virgil did, and whether that's on this kind of question, on some of the things that he created that people didn't necessarily love, I'm thinking of – it's kind of now infamous, the the draft – album cover for Pop Smoke's posthumous album, which like was
1: not good, like worth Googling. It's not you... good. Yeah. It's not good. You should look it up and, <laughs> and just admire how not good it is. Totally. And if anything, it's kind of comforting <laughs> that it's not good to me. Exactly. It's, it's like, kind of oh, like, we all
0: make mistakes. Yeah, Even Virgil makes mistakes. I don't want
1: you to be all hits. It kind of, you know, makes my life
0: look terrible. And when he does do that, he just sort of says, hey, I'm sorry, I missed this one. And that's kind of it. He doesn't make a big song and dance about it. He doesn't retreat into the wilderness and come back with a long notes app, <laughs> Apology, not apology, and he just gets back to work. And I think that is something that is—it's really rare for for anyone at that level, particularly for artists, particularly for artists that are lauded to the level that he is. And I think it's refreshing. Was refreshing to see that.
1: Yeah, definitely, definitely. This has kind of been such
0: an invigorating and like optimistic and, and positive chat. It just—I've learned a lot about what he. I've learned more about what he did than I than I knew before this. And I can see and hear the passion in your voice, but it almost is making me forget the fact that he's gone and it seems like he's gone at a moment in which he really was just getting started, which seems crazy to say because he'd done
1: so much, but he was 41. He could have done this for another 40 years, really. I've been writing about men's fashion in particular for almost 10 years now. And Virgil has been kind of a part of that career as I've made my own. And it is so incomprehensible to think of him not being here. And I mean, I what, like what you said, right? I sound really enthusiastic and like I'm really looking back on his life with rose tinted glasses and everything. I'm not a Virgil Abloh fan, hmm. you know, but I don't think that you can deny the influence that he's had on the industry. You know, like he's definitely not one of my favorite designers, but I think that the way that he's changed and shaped the fashion industry is going to have more repercussions than some of the designers that I've loved forever will definitely but it is so strange to think about him not being here because he worked so much and he was just so around and available and he kept I think it's also because he kept his illness a secret Hmm. I mean there were he took some time off in 2019 it was reported that it was for exhaustion but it's interesting to think about that break that he took in 2019 because you know like I said I'm not necessarily a big Virgil Abloh fan I have so much respect for what he did but he's not one of my favorite designers personally but I have to say in the last year I had never been more fascinated by somebody's work wow and so I don't know what that how that aligns with him changing in the last year maybe because of his illness maybe not um but he'd kind of over the last year softened a little bit. He always felt like he was doing way too much and it was getting way too crazy in terms of his designs. Like he was trying to throw too many ideas into one piece and they didn't always work. But in the last year, year and a half, I would say he kind of simplified a little bit. And I've been writing a lot about men's fashion over the last year in particular, especially for GQ. And I keep finding myself referencing his designs more than I ever thought that I would. That's really interesting
0: because you mentioned earlier that you thought his ability and willingness to do so many things. It was like, he's running out of time. He has to do all these things. So the first part of his career, he's just doing every single thing he could. And in the last 12 months, when he knows that he's ill and, you know, he's running out of time, seems to be the opposite happens rather than thinking I need to do everything. It's like, what do I really want to focus on? What is the most meaning and thought I can bring to something?
1: Yeah. And I think it's hard. Grief is hard and everything. And there's a lot of questions that are going to go unanswered about this. But I think that something that's weirdly comforting to me when it comes to Virgil passing away so unexpectedly is that he had more of a career in 41 years of his life than some people will have in three lifetimes. Hmm. He made every moment count. And I think it's really inspiring for people that kind of attitude that he had, which was very much about why wait, just go and do it. You know, you've got an idea, go make it. He was very much about kind of like, you've got the tools, I've shown you the way that I've done it, why don't you just go and do it? And I think that's kind of the legacy that he leaves behind will be very much tied to that. Mitch, that's a really wonderful place to leave it. Thank you so much for the chat.
0: Thank you so much. The Culture is a weekly show from Schwartz Media, it's produced by Bez Zoda and Atticus Basto. Our editor-in-chief is Eric Jensen, and our theme music is By Hermitude. Make sure to follow us on Instagram. We're at theculture.pod. I'm Osman Faruqi. See you next week.